Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Debrief. This week, we're going to cover the Marco Rupnik scandal, the Synod's synthesis report, and then Bishop Strickland travels to Rome. Hey, Mike, and hey, everyone, welcome back to The Debrief. It's our weekly show where we're talking about news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church. I'm Dominic Souza, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the editor and co-founder of the website Where Peter Is. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween, all souls, all saints, and everything woo-woo and spiritual. So exactly. Uh, just thinking this week, I was washing dishes, the Catholic Church is one of the most woo sort of things out there, so none of this should be surprising to anybody. I think speaking of things, though, that do surprise and did surprise people this past week um, on October 25th, the Diocese of Koper in Slovenia announced that they had accepted the former Jesuit and renowned artist Marko Rupnik into the diocese. The artist stands accused of sexually abusing around 20 women and one man, even though an investigation into the charges led the Jesuit order and the DDF to conclude that the charges were extremely credible. Pope Francis decided not to waive the statute of limitations on the allegations, so Rupnik did not face any trial or sanctions. The diocese said that they incarnated him on the grounds that he had not been formally sentenced in any crime, and that until that happened, he was free to engage in public ministry. Two days later, on October 27th, the Vatican issued a statement announcing that the Pontifical Commission for the Protections of Minors had flagged the serious problems in the handling of the case, prompting Pope Francis to lift the statute of limitations. So, Mike, you then wrote a very critical article about the handling of the case on your Substack. Uh, what did you make of all this? Yeah, so just to backtrack, and it, it was kind of funny because last week we recorded on Tuesday and I didn't um, post uh, our debrief until Wednesday. And by the time I had posted it on Wednesday, it, it uh, felt a little broken. hollow and empty. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the, the, the traditionalist issue is something that's ongoing. It contributes to the crisis of credibility in the church, but the number one issue in the Catholic church right now, when it comes to trusting the church, uh, trusting what the hierarchy has to say, I mean, the crisis of credibility is this abuse scandal and it's hit um, you know, it hit the U.S. in 2002. We had round two in 2018. And the church, the hierarchy has, in my opinion, very little room for error when it comes to handling these situations. Mm -hmm. um, so Marko Rupnik is a Slovenian Jesuit or was a Slovenian Jesuit who was famous for his mosaics, which appear in churches, basilicas, shrines, cathedrals around the world. Um, I know that in the United States, um, Sacred Heart University has their chapel is has his mosaics on the wall. The John Paul II shrine in Washington D.C. is, I believe, has seven or eight of his mosaics prominently featured. The Knights of Columbus headquarters in Connecticut has it as well, um, has his work prominently featured as well. Um, this was a big visible scandal because he is a well-known priest yet inexplicably um i guess since his accusations of abuse have come from adult mostly adult women mm -hmm. um and because the uh, the bulk of the allegations happened in the 1980s and 1990s 
um, when this, when the reports from the DDF and the Jesuits came to Pope Francis, they had eclipsed the statute of limitations. And, but for some reason, Pope Francis, even though he will do it for children, he's made, uh, you know, when it's abuse of children or when, you know, when the case warrants it, he will waive that statute of limitations. That is a, it's a papal prerogative, obviously, as the supreme legislator in the church. Mm -hmm. He chose not to. That caused, I would say, a, a bit of a scandal. Um, shortly thereafter, the Jesuits kicked him out of their order uh, due to um, disobedience. Um, and it seemed to me that the, the Jesuits were hoping that, that he would face sanctions. Um, people who were, I guess you could call them Pope splainers. People call me a Pope splainer, but I'm not, uh, I mean, I, I defend the Pope when there's a defense being offered that I can respond to. Um, but they were saying, well, he's effectively suspended. He's been kicked out of the Jesuits. He doesn't have a bishop to answer to. He can't operate as a priest in good standing. Okay, that's not a great answer, but that's, I mean, what are you going to do? And so that that was late in 2022. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get this news. I guess he was kicked out of the Jesuits in the summer. Then we get this news that he's been incarnated into a diocese in Slovenia. Mm -hmm. um, and presumably it wasn't, they weren't going to assign him to a parish in Slovenia. He was going, they were basically going to say, okay, I'm your bishop now and I'm recognizing your apostolate, your art, your whatever in Rome. So he was gonna be able in theory to pick up where he left off with no punishments as a priest in good standing because he has a bishop that has his back. Um, and, and the thing is, at any step along the way, Pope Francis, regardless of his involvement in this, had the ability to just put a stop to it. Or if he had allowed the, you know, if he had waived that statute of limitations, allowing him to go on trial, uh, presumably he would have, I mean, if you read the testimonies, um, and I shared one specific one in my article, but there, there are several other ones. This is a this isn't a case of uh, a lapse in judgment or temptation. This is a textbook example of a, a career abuser. He's mm. he grooms women. They, you know, he would get them under his spell, under his authority, under his spiritual manipulation. He would mm. get he they would do things that were in some cases, uh, you know, blasphemous. Um, and, and he had a pattern of behavior. So gosh, yeah. Why? So, I mean, the thing is there ultimately there was the, the blame fell on Pope Francis. Now this, you know, I don't know what the explanation is. I think mm -hmm. that, um, he, needs to the vatican needs to offer a more thorough explanation as you mentioned they refer back to september or a, a september letter from the the um pontifical commission for the protection of minors mm -hmm. yet the vatican it, it's a month later and it wasn't until two days after the news of his incarnation and mm -hmm. a media outcry including from mike lewis of where peter is that let's, mm -hmm. you know, this is unacceptable. This, this needs yeah. to be addressed. 
and and to me it it struck me as um the the synod is going on the synod the per, one of the main purposes of the synod is to rebuild credibility in the church mm-hmm. and have the church respond to those who have been hurt by the church or who are suffering to have the conclusion of the synod coincide with this news about father rupnik mm-hmm. is um it, it was astounding it, it left yeah. me speechless and so you know i i had to i had to speak up about it i and of course we know that there people tell you you know people will say all the time we've had popes who have been sinners they've been adulterers they've been um involved in simony and all kinds of personal sins all kinds of uh have made all kinds of prudential errors mm-hmm. um and that would apply as well in the case of pope francis nobody is perfect mm-hmm. yet for a pope who had supposedly experienced this transformation back in 2018 with uh the chile cardinals or the chile bishops and they had the the abuse summit in 2019 and he and all of a sudden we have this talk about zero tolerance mm-hmm. well he's setting a terrible example doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that his teaching or even the thrust of his papacy is wrong but he's certainly doing great damage to the credibility of the church mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than publishing this on the Where Peter Is site, you publish this on your personal Substack. Uh, why'd you do that? Well, first of all, um, one of the decisions that we made very early in the history of the site when we mm-hmm. were developing our editorial standards, mm-hmm. you can find criticism of Pope Francis at plenty of other sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm talking about outright objective just I disagree with this type criticism. That is not to say that prudential, that we believe in principle that prudential disagreement with the Pope is wrong. And where Peter is contributors have written for other sites or have written on their own personal blogs, um, criticisms of Pope Francis's policies, decisions, um, in some cases, even his articulation of teachings. and that's fine. Like we don't oppose that. Um, but if you want to find criticism of Pope Francis, there are plenty of websites to go to. Um, we also don't Pope explain. It would have been against my integrity and the integrity of the contributors of the site to try to make up some, I don't know how you would do it, but some reasonable excuse for why Pope Francis didn't act in this case. If there is no defense, that's plausible, Mm -hmm. then we aren't going to make one up. So in this case, I felt that this fell into that area of strong prudential criticism of Pope Francis. Um, I wanted to express it, but I didn't want to express it on where Peter is because the purpose of the site is not, is, does not involve criticism of his papacy. So that's in a nutshell, uh, in a nutshell, why I published it privately. Mm-hmm. Very good. And so speaking of then criticism and everything that's being leveled, the 2023 Synod uh, final document is now uh, wrapping up and, and is finally released in English. So after four weeks of meeting in mostly closed sessions, the October 2023 assembly of the Synod on Synodality wrapped up over the weekend. And on Saturday, the final synthesis report 
of the 2023 Vatican Synodal Assembly was titled A Synodal Church in Mission, was released in Italian, the English version of the document finally released today. What can you tell us about the report? So it's, uh, I've heard it's 41 pages long. I think the English might be 42. Um, it's a comprehensive document that uh, reflects on various aspects um, of, for lack of a better expression, and I know a lot of especially Catholic conservatives hate this expression, but it focused on being church, how mm -hmm. we as a church operate. Mm -hmm. um, there's an introduction, there's a conclusion, and there are 20 chapters making up the body of the document. So uh, talking about the laity, talking about um, priests and deacons, talking about bishops, talking about women in the church, talking about missionary activity, each of these had three sections with three or four paragraphs that were lettered paragraphs underneath it. So A through E would be uh, matters, uh, would be, was convergences. Um, and then these are areas of agreement. Like we all agree that um, the missions are good, or this is where there was a, a general consensus. Uh, then let's say F through G was, um, matters for consideration so some of these um some of these subjects maybe they they hadn't reached a consensus as a group or it was something that maybe the the pope or the bishops would need to delve more deeply into and or things that warranted future study so that group was matters for consideration and then the final let's say h through l uh was proposals and these were actually concrete suggestions like this is a, a topic that we need to start a study on or mm -hmm. we need to be more vigilant about this or this or this um the document passed overwhelmingly um mm -hmm. each of these paragraphs uh was approved by at least 80 percent of the participants and most of them were well above 90 percent. i'd say that 75 percent of the paragraphs were 93 percent or higher essentially. Wow. Um, so very broad consensus, although to note, not a single one was approved uh, by a unanimous um, majority. So mm -hmm. it's it's funny, there, there are several uh, paragraphs that have one or two no votes. And, you know, I, I just sort of picture, a, you know, a grouchy, like card, grouchy retired cardinal from some far flung diocese that's like hitting the no button on every single one i mean I, now granted it's his pro you know prerogative it was electronic vote it was you it was anonymous so that people would able would be able to vote freely without fear of repercussion but mm -hmm. there's just something interesting to note so you wrote an article about the quote spiciest paragraphs in the document what does that mean can you explain what that yeah means? so um one of the things, obviously, people uh, were immediately talking about some of the paragraphs that were um, more uh, that got the most no votes. Um, mm -hmm. Women deacons was one of them. There were a couple uh, about, pre, you know, priestly celibacy and possibly re relaxing that. Now, keep in mind, every single one of them got 80 percent approval or higher. Um, and the um, the ones about women deacons were not like let proposals to let's have women deacons. They were, um, let's, 
explore this more deeply. Or we had, uh, there were commissions, I think, in 2016 and 2020 on women deacons, and they were submitted to the Pope, like the, the possibility. They brought thinkers and theologians and historians together um, to study the question. And we've never seen the results of these reports. We don't know what was said or 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 what it points to. So, you know, one of the, one of the the items was, let's see these reports. Let's hear about what they, or, you know, a summary at least of of what was uh, what was developed. Um, they uh, basically they they were able to talk about um, synodality once again. This is a word that it's funny because I've actually talked to two or three uh, delegates or, or participants in the synod. <laughs> They, they're on fire for synodality. Um, unfortunately, this whole thing happened behind closed doors. Uh, what that synodal conversion they, they had, what that means, I don't know how that experience that the uh, three or 400 people had in the Paul VI hall that we didn't get to see. How, how is that type of church dialogue, which actually when you hear about how, how it was undertaken and um, Jerry O'Connell from America in the most recent uh, Jesuitical podcast gives a good overview of, of the process. And Father James Martin also took part in that podcast talking about like, okay, well, they bring up the topic and then everybody gets three minutes to speak and there's a facilitator and everybody, even if there's a disagreement, there's a dialogue and and then they sort of come to a conclusion. It, was, it, it sounded like a, a very good um, way of engaging people, not quite a meeting, but one of those, um, but the structure allowed for uh, people to respectfully express themselves, hmm. not to feel pressure from the outside, um, freedom to speak freely and not to check uh, what they were, you know, what they might otherwise say, because if these interventions are public, then people with spicier, <laughs> for lack of a better word, takes aren't you know, aren't going to be, um, they might not be as forthcoming. Um, but on the whole, yeah, it was, it was basically different proposals, uh, trying to think, uh, they, I mean, a couple of interesting ones that got wide approval were, uh, to take a new look at the code of canon law. Um, we had a code of canon law that was implemented in 1917, which was that, the process of, of writing that composing that code was undertaken by was started by Pius the 10th and then it was finished by Benedict the 15th mm -hmm. um so it was a years long process and then right around Vatican maybe the end of Vatican II I'm not sure if it's proposed in a Vatican II document or if it was Paul the 6th shortly thereafter but they proposed a new code of canon law which was finally promulgated in 1983 so that was so from 1917 to mid-1960s, that's 50 years. 2023, we're looking at 40 years um, from the release of our current code, although we've undertaken a few overhauls of certain sections since then, but maybe it's time to take a new look at the Code of Canon Law. I don't know. Um, but it was interesting that that was one of the concrete proposals. Another interesting proposal that they made had to do with safeguarding and the protection of minors. Mm -hmm. And they discussed putting into place a mechanism to hold bishops accountable, um, okay. essentially job reviews for bishops. Hmm. And it passed with maybe 10% uh, 
no votes. I, I'm curious if those no votes came from uh, came from bishops, but it's it's one of those things where there's the bishop is is sovereign in his diocese, mm-hmm. and he really has to make a profoundly scandalous example or commit a crime or or be accused of something, you know, pretty serious in order to be uh, relieved of duties. I mean, simple incompetence, mismanagement, favoritism. I mean, you hear parish priests all the time uh, talk about how, you know, what obedience to a bishop consists of. And mm-hmm. if there's a bishop that is either not taking uh, safeguarding seriously, mishandling abuse, or treating chancery employees and priests and the people poorly. Um, you know, I've heard about plenty of bishops who, and I don't, I'm not one to judge. I'm not able to do any kind of assessment, but they're, you know, people say they're bullies and they mistreat the, you know, people. And, and really there's no mechanism for accountability. Um, theologically and ecclesiastically, there are some issues about oversight of a bishop, but maybe a more thorough way of overseeing bishops in the Vatican and, or at least uh, measuring their effectiveness, their, um, you know, making sure they aren't abusing their offices. Mm -hmm. That would be welcome. But I mean, even if it was, even though it was one of the proposals of Mm -hmm. the Synod, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. Right. So what else was in the synthesis report? Any other talking points? Remember all of the, uh, the panic that was being uh, spread by uh, critics of the Synod who were mm-hmm. saying that it was going to implement women's ordination or uh, impose women's deacons on the church or sanction same-sex blessings or uh, even gay marriage or, or anything like that. The, they, they, propo- they thought that these things were going to be proposed. They aren't found in the synthesis document. Um, at most, they discussed this should be discussed further um, in terms of, of the female diaconate, which, by the way, is not, it wasn't definitively ruled out by John Paul II in mm-hmm. um, 1990. Um, women priests were. Um, it, it strikes me as kind of funny that all of this panic has led to a document that basically says, let's um, let's be a more open and transparent church where we listen to one another and where we uh, reach out to those who are poor or suffering or um, in pain. Now, I've already seen some radical traditionalists say that there are time bombs in this, uh, in this document or that it's um, they've interpreted certain paragraphs to mean certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one paragraph in my article about the spiciest paragraphs, uh, it received some pushback and it had to do with giving authority to bishops' conferences. Because mm-hmm. as, as, as they work right now, like the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, it is a forum for the U.S. bishops to come together for joint initiatives. Mm-hmm. But if there is a bishop in some part of the country that's doing something against the church or that's creating scandal or whose behavior is outrageous. You hear a lot of cries for where is the USCCB? Well, the fact of the matter is 
the USCCB does not have jurisdiction over any individual uh, member, over any any individual bishops. I've I've equated it a little bit to the UN, where mm-hmm. it's this association of the nations. The United Nations is an association of the nations, but each nation has its own its own governments. Um, now, even the UN is probably more likely to uh, put out an open criticism against a member nation. Um, but one of the one of the issues that they were saying to delegate the power of the USCCB over had to say that they mentioned even doctrine. Now that could be read one of two ways. Um, some, and I'm sure the reactionary response, and maybe this is what was meant. I don't know. Uh, they would see it as, oh, the German bishops can make up their own internal changes in doctrine. You know, that's asking for them to have the authority to do that. The other way of looking at it is, let's say one of the bishops in your country or two of the bishops in your country have contravened doctrine doctrine, or they've sanctioned something that goes counter to Catholic doctrine. This would give the USCCB or a bishops, any bishops conference uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of authority over its members when it comes to those issues. So, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I don't know what what might happen from it, but it was an interesting proposal. And I'd be curious to see if it develops any further. Actually, I'd be curious to see if any of it develops any further, because a lot of it, uh, you know, it's basically a wish list. And the real question is whether a it's gonna, this type of meeting, this type of dialogue is going to take place throughout the rest of the church. And B, we still have gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it comes down to what the Pope decides and what he delegates to the bishops and whether the bishops decide to go through with the program. Is it a, you know, will it be a nothing burger? I I certainly hope not. But mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, it's one of those, I'll see it when I believe it. Um, sometimes it takes a, a media outcry to, uh, as we saw with um, Father Rupnik, to, to, you know, get church leadership to act on something yeah, but i deal. seriously doubt that i don't know paragraph c of chapter 14 of this document and i have no idea what that is you can look it up but i doubt there will be a groundswell from the media to make sure that the the church follows through on that item um when i worked at the bishops conference just anecdotally i remember we would have a we would have some sort of big meeting for the department where they would show us either the new org chart or the new uh, program that we're adopting. And here are the consultants that we've brought in to help initiate this new way of being. And it's going to happen as soon as possible and blah, blah, blah. And six months later, it still wouldn't have been implemented. The consultants that were hired disappeared and nothing changed. I, I mean, that was sort of the thing that, that, happens typically in the church and and mm-hmm. the people in the u.s would always complain about how the vatican was super slow and super unresponsive and that was so just compound what i experienced at the u.s to the universal level i just mm-hmm. don't you know i don't i can't tell you what the future holds but um i think that theologically the synodality is is definitely the way forward for the church mm-hmm. So for the last topic, uh, talking about what's going on in Rome, uh, Bishop Strickland, the controversial bishop of Tyler, Texas, he delivered a speech at an event called the Rome Life Forum. 
And yeah, he's he's in Rome. What is the forum? What's going on? So the Rome Life Forum, I'm not exactly sure when it started, but I became aware of it early in Pope Francis's papacy. It's um, a gathering by a uh, sponsored by a group called Voice of the Family. Um, and I've mentioned them before on the debrief. I don't know if they are affiliated with um, TFP, with Tradition Family and Property, or if they're uh, just some of the members are involved in setting it up. Um, it is basically a, a, a forum or a conference where a lot of the critics of Pope Francis um, will speak on matters regarding the church. Um, mm -hmm. I remember that uh, I believe Archbishop Vigano in, in 2017, maybe sort of made his first big splash against Pope Francis. Not a lot of people picked up on it at this event. Cardinal Burke has spoken at it several times. Um, it, it's, it seems to be spearheaded by John Henry Weston of LifeSite News and uh, Michael Matt of the Remnant newspaper. I'm not sure how familiar our audience is with that, but the Remnant, it, it's interesting. They were um, a spinoff. The Matt family ran the Wanderer newspaper mm -hmm. uh, beginning, I think it first came out in German in the 1930s. And it's a, you know, a family newspaper based in Minnesota. And it's always been very conservative uh, or seen as very conservative or even reactionary about the church. Then I believe in 1967, there was a rift in the Matt family, and one of one of the brothers decided that he did not like Vatican II, and he supported Lefebvre, and didn't support the new the you know the the revisions of the Mass or or anything that came from Vatican II. So they broke off from the Wanderer and started the Remnant newspaper which was always sort of the smaller one um, mm -hmm. until the internet came around. And the Wanderer, I guess their editors, uh, you know, they continued, they were very um, pro John Paul II, very pro Pope Benedict, very anti US bishops. Mm -hmm. um, they would criticize a lot of, a lot of the, uh, who they saw as, as the, uh, the uh, progressive bishops in the United States. But since the internet era has come around, the remnant has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Michael mm -hmm. Matt, who is either the son or the grandson of the one who originally split off, he's the editor-in-chief of the remnant. He's highly involved in a lot of these uh, initiatives in um, on the reactionary and the conservatives, uh, or reactionary and traditionalist side of things. I don't know if you've heard the, the rallying cry of... Um, unite the clans. They, uh, you know, they want to bring together the FSSP people and the SSPX people and the people who are just very strong, you know, Latin, diocesan Latin mass people, and they don't care about the divisions. They just want to, I guess, protest Vatican II. And as long as you're on that side, they don't care who you are. I don't think the SSPX is big fans of that. They like to be the SSPX. <laughs> that's, their, that's their thing. They don't. Okay. They don't uh, like to mix. They don't like to unite the clans. They like to unite the clans under the S F under the SSPX. But that's another mm -hmm. story. But anyway, this—if you remember the story last year, where Bishop 
Strickland shared a video in which he, in which, in which Pope Francis was described as a diabolically disordered clown. So this is Bishop Strickland saying That's everyone should watch this video. Praise. Well, the person who calls Pope Francis a diabolically disordered clown is the aforementioned Michael Matt. So now uh, he is the guest of Michael mm -hmm. Matt at this big conference in uh, in Rome, mm -hmm. the uh, you know the Rome Life Forum, and there's a picture of them sitting next to each other. Um, Strickland gave a speech. There was another event in Pittsburgh, the Catholic Identity Conference, where they promoted that a Bishop X would be speaking at this conference, mm -hmm. and Bishop X, introduced by Michael Matt, turns out to be. Bishop Joseph Strickland. So if you want to know where Bishop Strickland is maybe getting his ideological ideas and where this shift is happening, um, the remnant and Michael Matt might be a, a good place to look. Um, okay. Anyway, he's in Rome. He delivered a speech. Uh, it hasn't been posted in its entirety online. Mm -hmm. um, but that's uh it's curious that he's showing yeah. up in rome right after the uh the Senate. So it sounds like we're going to be coming back to that um we've discussed several times the vatican conducted an apostolic visitation of his diocese back in june and so far there's been no official word on the results of that visitation do you think he might be summoned to the vatican while he's in rome i mean i think it would save uh, a plane ticket or you know it would expedite things um i'm fairly confident at this point that um there's no way that that bishop strickland is going to be continuing in office for much longer but it's one of those things where the vatican the decision seems obvious like i mean mm -hmm. i could tell you right now that uh that marco rupnik should be dismissed from the clerical state he should be removed from the priesthood um and there should be an apology when that that could have a a year from now. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just sort of the way that the, the Vatican uh, does things. But, you know, it's like if he's in Rome anyway, maybe maybe Cardinal Prevost can, you know, send him a, a telegram and, and a car and drive him on over to the to the dicastery for bishops. I think that that would be a good, you know, this and it's over. It's time to get back to, to business. And that would be a, a pretty um, promising first order of business. But that's just me. You know, all well, in good come. time. We'll come back maybe next week and see if anything has emerged from it. Uh, tomorrow's November 1st. Um, anything you want to share on that front? Well, so it's All Saints Day, Holy Day of Obligation. Um, and so remember to make it to Mass if you can. And uh, tonight is Halloween. All Souls Day is uh, November 2nd. Uh, so the day after tomorrow, um, please you know remember to keep the... Uh, those who have died and and pray for the souls in in purgatory keep keep them in your prayers and uh yeah have a have a blessed double feast don't eat there too much go. candy actually i think you can because it's a feast day so enjoy all the candy <laughs> thanks for the debrief mike I, um and i'm sure there are plenty of who who watch and and follow along with this show just how valuable it is to get just an overview from somebody we trust or like to follow or just want to have another uh, a set of insights on things. So again, as always, thanks for the debrief. Friends, if you agree, hit the like button, drop a comment. Um, there's obviously a whole lot of 
uh, divisive information out there. So getting something from where Peter is has always been invaluable for me and for my faith life and my journey. Uh, links to all these things, they are in the description if you want to go a little deeper and read uh, some of the posts that Mike has written on these things. And then this conversation is brought to you from smartcatholics.com. It's our online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Uh, join the private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and then suggest topics for next time. Yeah, and visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Hit the like button. Please subscribe. Uh, support Where Peter Is on Patreon. And thank you again for joining us when it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church. Stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless. God bless. Happy Halloween. <laughs>